better, smarter, faster. The future of connected healthcare relies on a powerful digital ecosystem and robust neural network to drive better diagnostics, intelligent operations, and seamless care anywhere. Join us as we talk to the experts about transformational roadmaps for this evolving landscape. What's working, what's needed, and how we get there together. Welcome to Healthcare On Air, presented by Verizon. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Healthcare On Air by Verizon. I'm your host, Robin Goldsmith, and this week we are continuing our conversation with Dr. Zev Newworth. This is a wonderful conversation I'm very proud of, so please enjoy this episode. So in the book, you have three sections. The first one is megatrends, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of, we touched upon it before, and we've had a lot of folks on the show, you know, addressing this notion of decentralization of care, where care is moving, and, and it aligns so well with your book, Beyond the Walls, which is encapsulates that perfectly. Um, so I do have a question on the title. Where, you know, can you speak to why you picked Beyond the Walls and, and what that really means? Yeah, it's, well, I, I borrowed that or, or learned that metaphor from reading a book by Jim McKelvey. And Jim McKelvey was a glassblower who had a problem. Um, he couldn't get people to pay him for his artwork because, uh, <laughs> you know, people whether they didn't carry cash or they said they would pay him back or whatever. And so he started to solve that problem and he created a thing called Square, which is the little thing that people used to stick into, you know, their phones, whatever, and you swipe the card. So yeah. fast forward, Jim McKelvey is obviously a incredibly successful, wealthy entrepreneur, and he's gone on to do other things and to be an investor. And so he writes a book about entrepreneurs and I read the book, uh, I read the book two or three years before when it came out, uh, before I wrote uh, Beyond the Walls, and I forgot about the book. And I was writing my book, Beyond the Walls, and I had a different title. It was like The Future of Healthcare is Here and Now. That was literally the working title, yep. and which is descriptive. Um, yep. But um, then I woke up one, literally woke up one morning at about three o'clock, and I was like, where is that book? I couldn't even remember the author. I couldn't remember the title. All I can remember was the, it was a yellow book and I went looking for the yellow book and there was something in the yellow book and I found it and I read the first chapter and sure enough in it, he was like, listen, y'all don't understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Let me try to explain it to you. And he said, it's like being in medieval Edinburgh and it's a, a, a city on a hill surrounded by a wall in medieval times in the dark ages. And life in the city is not that great. Um, you know, it's it's pestilent and it's overcrowded and there isn't a lot of work. And literally there's, you know, people pour into the streets. It's it's just, it's not fun to live in the in the walls, but it's safe and it's secure and it's known. And he said, most people live that way, except for some people who are different. And these people just, they wanted to go beyond the walls. And the challenge with going beyond the walls is that there are no laws. You, there are no rules. It's just the law of nature. And you either, mm-hmm. either survive or you die. There's not much in between. He said, but those people, when they bring what they've learned back into the city, they expand and they bring people beyond the walls. And if you think about it, this is what was required for us to go from the dark ages to the Renaissance. We had to literally 
move beyond those walls of stone. We had to get, you know, communication and collaboration and commerce. To, to, if we lived in those fiefdoms, we would still be there, you know, but in order to really create the civilization we have today and the advances we have today, we had to get beyond the walls. Now, I took that metaphor and I said, oh my God, I have been talking to these people for the past 10 years. Who are these people who have gone beyond the walls? And the the metaphor fits so amazingly well. I literally, I just plopped it right in. And then I had these three sections. Section one, I realized was moving beyond the walls concretely. This is literally the digital world, the telehealth world, right? So that was already written. That was the concrete beyond the walls. Section two was all about the humanistic movements in healthcare, you know, getting rid of sexism and ageism and racism and, and all that ableism. And so conceptually, that was taking us from the medieval dark ages into this renaissance, this age of enlightenment. So that was yep. the conceptual beyond the walls. And then there was a larger beyond the walls. This was the system-wide, systemic beyond the walls. Um, and again, this was with new partnerships, right? New collaborations in healthcare, new business models. And yep. so it literally, that's how um, it, it just it just fit perfectly. Beyond the walls is the message. Now, the one thing I want to say, Robin, is it's yeah, it's not breaking the walls down and it, it, it's 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 you know people talk about outside the walls it's not about inside or outside beyond is 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 actually and i use that word specifically and i knew i used the word specifically if i wanted to say outside the walls i would have called it outside the walls beyond means making the walls irrelevant i mean now if you think about going to visit those cities like edinburgh or you know london or paris these were all walled cities right um the walls now are kind of, or, or Siena, you know, you think about these medieval towns that still have those walls. The walls are sort of quaint now. Um, they became very, very irrelevant. Um, and that's what we need to do. But, you know, Buckminster Fuller, uh, the amazing architect, um, said that if you want to change the world, you don't change it by fighting the current reality. You create a new re reality that makes the, 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 the old one, the present one, irrelevant. And, and I think that's what I see these people doing. They're not arguing. They're not trying to tear anything down. They're what they're doing is creating a new reality that will make the old one just antiquated and outdated. And and I want to be part of that movement. And I want others to be part of that movement. And it's it's really really hopeful. And and the last thing I'll say about it is that it's not about where you sit. So there are people who are inside of legacy healthcare systems, hospital systems, insurance companies, et cetera. And I know there, there, there's a lot of criticism uh, and a lot of it is quite valid that's being leveled, um, whether it's pharma or insurance companies. Um, I, I understand that, but my message is this, whether you're in the system like that or you're an entrepreneur coming uh, at it from a different angle, um, my message is that the way we're going to fix this is get beyond those walls. And it's gonna take people inside the system and people yeah. coming from outside the system together. And if we realize we, we are all trying to do the same thing, which is get beyond those walls, um, I, I think I think we, you know, I actually think we could change it literally. And I know this is kind of crazy, but I think we could change healthcare in a matter of days or weeks, not decades, which is the story I've wow. heard. In this 
part two of the book, Movements, and you touched on humanism. Um, and then I, I loved, you know, contextualized care, this whole person care, which I think all weaves into value-based care and 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 go, moving from sick care to really healthcare, the way it was you know, initially titled. Um, can you speak to those, those trends that you've seen? Because I think um, they're incredibly important and kind of where, where the, the space is moving to very quickly for a lot of reasons you touch on. Yeah. The metaphor I really like to use here is widening the aperture. And I've borrowed that from a bunch of people who've used it. So I didn't make it up by any means. Um, yep. But the, the idea is this. Yes, we have a, a, a healthcare system that is focused on trauma and disease and my comment is, well, thank God, because um, that is so, so important um, when we have a disease, uh, uh, you know, whether it's acute or chronic, uh, it could be yeah. anything from, you know, high blood pressure to, you know, cancer, or when we have a trauma, um, thank God we have a, just an amazing, especially in this country, just world-class state-of-the-art, um, I can't think of a better, you know, sick care system. And I say yeah. that, you know, in a positive way in a really positive way. And yet at the same time, the system is misguided and um, it's just it's just too focused on that alone. So what we need to do is start to widen the aperture. We need yep. a health care system. We need a system that doesn't wait for people to have you know, a stroke. And again, I use this analogy. I was like, well, thank God we have a units, units all over the country where you can go. And if you've got a clot in your heart, the arteries in your heart, you can go in and amazing people who have spent years perfecting this will go in and just dissolve that clot. I mean, and if the clot's in your brain, they'll do the same thing. Or, I mean, it's just, it's crazy that they have that. Or if you have a stroke, there's amazing world-class stroke units. My question is this, or my, actually as a, just as a person or individual, knock, knock, knock on this big healthcare system door, little me, but it's like, you know, not for nothing, but do you think maybe you could spend a few dollars helping me not have that stroke or heart attack? I mean, I'm grateful to you that you have those units and we're spending yep. hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars on that, but maybe a few bucks could be spent helping me so that I can control my high blood pressure or my diabetes or my cholesterol. Maybe, maybe I don't even have to have them, which is actually, yeah. I know for a fact that that's true because by the way, diabetes type two, it almost didn't exist decades ago. I mean, it, it it's, it's a man-made disease, yeah, nutrition, um, right? It's, it's all about diet and nutrition and physical activity. And the same thing could be said for, for so many of these other cardiometabolic and then even, even mental health. And so, you know, it, it, it is, that's why I say the system is misguided and, and it just, it's just an objective, um, observation. So we need to widen the aperture. It's not eliminate stuff. It's not destroy stuff It's just starting to divert. And this is the point. This isn't about rhetoric. This is about taking cold, hard cash. This is about taking resources and starting to, um, reorient our thinking about what healthcare is, widen that aperture, aperture, and starting to put our money where our mouth is. So if we think wellness and prevention is important, then my question to everyone, whether it's pharma or insurance companies or the government, how much of your healthcare spend are you putting? Where are your chips? Are they waiting for me to get that cancer? 
or to get that stroke or to get that heart attack and then treat me with unbelievably amazing and costly technology and professionals? Or are you going to spend a few of those chips on helping the American public prevent those things from happening? And, you know, and that's a big, big issue. And it's a big question. And I know there's a lot of there's a lot of pull to keep things the same way they are because a lot of people are making a lot of money. Actually, I think very few people are making a lot of money is probably what it is. And I get that. I get that. And I understand that. And at the same time, too many people are suffering. And so yep. we need to wind the aperture. Another example of winding the aperture, if you if you don't mind my uh, adding okay. this in here, is is not just the sick care to a to a well care and whole uh, you know a healthcare system but also the notion and, and again this is science and evidence based that the vast majority of health outcomes doesn't depend on the clinical intervention it depends on the psychosocial intervention and so whether it's large scale things like education or employment or housing um huge uh social factors that determine our health um, or more daily contextual factors. And so, you know, for example, you know, um, am I able to take care of myself when I've got, you know, I'm holding down two jobs and I'm taking care of, you know, kids at the same time, you know, and so it's these daily micro contextual factors and the larger uh, uh, social determinants of health factors starting to really wind the aperture. So this doesn't become a sideshow. It's still a sideshow. Thank God it's at least we recognize it now. And yeah. that, you know, doctors and, and healthcare systems are now required to screen for these factors. That's a great, great move in the right direction. But again, it's not even window dressing. It's 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 kind of like it's I don't even know what to call it. It's just a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of an action we need to take. We need to start to make the system help people in that way. We need to start to divert some of the dollars into and again, widening the aperture. Um, why is it that Costa Rica has better health, public health care outcomes than the United States of America? It, it's because they've widened the aperture. It's that simple. Um, yeah. You know, they don't have the technology we have. They don't. They just don't have the people we have, the resources we have. Um, and yet, their outcomes are pretty darn good. I'm not saying we should, you know, do exactly what Costa Rica is is doing. I'm not saying we should, you know, degrade what we have. What I'm saying is that we have demonstrations both in the science and the literature and in real life uh, examples across the world where they've realized that it is about these contextual and social factors. Um, and, and while clinical science can take us so far, we have to start to, to again, widen the aperture and have a much more what, you know, the whole middle section of my book is about whole person care. And that's, yeah. that's what we need. Yeah. And I think, uh, I'm assuming you, you would agree, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a lot of this was accelerated by the pandemic. What we saw, you know, we saw a lot of things. Um, the, if there was a silver lining to that, it's that the realization of we need to pay more attention to underserved communities. And to, for your example, I think we talked about this earlier, but I'm a diabetic, but I don't have access to healthy food. You know, I'm in a I'm in a food desert, so I can't get the food that's really going to keep my diabetes under control. That's just that across the spectrum. I don't have access to to healthcare. I think that spotlight was put on that in the pandemic more than arguably ever in American modern healthcare. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, those kind of shifts, I think, are what you lay out in the book. You know, we have to 
you know, and I think I'm 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 optimistic from from who I speak to, who recognize that. And I think, you know, what a lot of what I do. Another thing we saw in the pandemic was those with access to connectivity and devices and technology that is going to enhance the experience in the home. We saw those who had it can engage in telehealth or education, and those who didn't fell far behind. So, um, well, I think Robin, if you don't mind my jumping, yeah, in, I think there are two lessons, and I don't know that I spent a bunch of time of, about this in the book. I don't think I did, but you know, there are two lessons out of the pandemic. One is, to your point, we were really, really hit with how disparate our healthcare system is when Black people were dying dying at two to three times the rate and the talk about misguided the misguided you know well-intentioned but misguided comments from people about why that was without really understanding um why um again i i think it was just adding more fuel to the flame of disparities and inequities in our healthcare system and quite honestly in our society you can't you can't blame the healthcare system for it. It's just a, a reflection, a manifestation of the larger society here. So, and that was really important, sad and tragic and important. Um, and it's a lesson we should not forget. It's a lesson I will never, ever forget. I Those numbers are just emblazoned in my brain. And so, you know, I will tell you that even now I'm, I'm doing podcasts right now. Um, the next podcast I post will be specifically about racial disparities in healthcare and a very, very specific uh, manifestation of that. And that was part of the COVID tragedy um, and, and continues to be something that we are not doing something about. And I'm, I'm going to ring that bell. Um, so that was lesson number one. Lesson number two, which I think is, is uh, equally as important and equally as hopeful, because I think by recognizing the disparities in healthcare, we can actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I actually, I think the lesson, hopefully the lesson won't be lost, but the second lesson was that we can change incredibly quickly. Remember how I said, you know, a few minutes ago, it sounds sort of crazy, but I don't think it, it has to take years or decades for the healthcare yeah. system to change, you know, and, and people's first reaction, including my own would be, yeah, whatever. Um, except for the fact that we, we witnessed it. We saw we literally, yeah, right. I mean, I was listening to my colleagues literally go from having less than 1% telehealth to over 90% virtual visits in a matter of days. I mean, yeah. I remember on a Friday, they had nothing. On a Monday, they were up live you can in do it. specialty yeah. departments and whole huge departments. I mean, thousands and thousands of doctors and nurses were on this. And so when people say, you know, we have to move slowly and cautiously and it's going to take years and years, I'm like, why? That yeah. is like, that's that's a figment of your your imagination of of the you know it's it's an incrementalism it's a status quo it, it is yep. you know i think incrementalism is one of the isms along with racism and and, and ageism and sexism and, and reductionism industrialism that we need to get beyond and yeah. we need humanism to supplant all that and i know we could do it because we saw it happen in the pandemic and necessity breeds innovation right so we're going to pause for now and pick up our conversation with Dr. Zeb Newworth next week. But in the meantime, if you want to watch any of our content, please go to Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just search for Healthcare on Air by Verizon. And thanks again for watching. And until next time, take care.